Welcome to the Wags of SCI podcast, where we discuss life, love, and caregiving after spinal cord injury. Hosted by Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget. Both of our partners are quadriplegics. And after connecting online in 2017, we began the advocacy and support group WAGS of SCI, which is an acronym for Wives and Girlfriends with Spinal Cord Injury. We know firsthand the challenges that come with living this lifestyle. And our mission is to spread education, awareness, and positivity from our unique perspectives. Us each week as we tackle deep discussions around balancing life as a caregiver and a lover to someone with a spinal cord injury. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Wags of SCI podcast. Here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Wags of SCI podcast with your hosts, Selena Polly and Brooke Paget. Today's episode is a follow-up episode on unpaid spousal caregiving. Yeah, we haven't done this in a while, and we thought we would do an update episode because the last episode was now over a year ago about our individual cases and where we're at because all of you know who've been following us for a while, this is one of the things that we are most passionate about behind the scenes, actually creating room for women to advocate for themselves, getting support in that advocating for oneself to receive compensation for the care that you provide. Um, As you know, we had that big article come out in 2021 by Amber Ferguson where we were discussing the amount of states that actually pay for care versus the amount the, the amount of states that don't. And so it turned out in her research that only eight states out of 50 actually have some sort of compensation plan in their government or in their government plan for their for their state as to compensating common law or uh, married partners for their caregiving and just how crazy it's gotten after the pandemic and how all of a sudden the pandemic you know caused a lot of people to start thinking people in power i guess people that are in charge of legislation got them to start thinking about the power of family caregivers and how you know they're burning the candle at both ends and relieving the system. And so, you know, you've heard our episodes in the past where we've talked about that article. And if you haven't listened to those episodes, please do so. Um, we actually were discussing the article in its full length in one of the episodes. So it's definitely worth that. You can also Google it. Um, it is called How America Treats uh paralyzed spouses of paralyzed partners and that is by the washington post amber ferguson so if you want like kind of an update on that listen on for this episode because we're going to give you updates on our own cases and also where we're at in the community as far as advocating for paid spousal and family caregivers but first we wanted to send a huge shout out to robin wishart of wishart brain and spine law she is not only the sponsor of this podcast but she is the official legal advocate of the WEGS of SCI community. If you need any assistance at all with not only your partner's case, but your case on paid spousal caregiving, as well as looking over insurance benefits paperwork to make sure you're getting what you need. Um, maybe you want need a letter written or you need some support legally to get 
the kind of support that you need. Robin is there. So if you need anything at all, please visit our website, wegsofsci.com and click on the legal resources tab. You can also visit Robin's website at brainandspinelaw.com to learn more about what she does. Our second sponsor is Annalisa and John Squires. They are the owners of Rolling in Paradise Adapted Equipment. So Rolling in Paradise is VA approved and they provide all of the latest equipment that you need to not only get around your home, but also get out and about. So say you're going on a beach vacation and you need some sort of adaptive equipment. You can contact Annalisa and John. And John's been a quadriplegic for over 30 years, and Annalisa is his quad wife. So we love to support quad wife-owned businesses. So yeah, you can contact them with your equipment needs. They ship all over North America, and they're available to answer all of your questions. So please visit rollinginparadise.com and tell them that the Wags of SCI sent you. So let's get into the meat of this episode. It's been a while since we've updated all of you with the it seems like never ending cases of, or our personal cases of trying to break the system pretty much, uh, an oppressive system that literally takes advantage of spousal caregivers for the amount that they care and the amount of care they provide for our partners. And we, ever since the beginning of starting WAGS, we have said, how wrong this is and how this is not something that we can live with because it's just, it's wrong, right? And so I think the pandemic worked in our favor, obviously. And I think that's agreed upon across the board that, you know, people in power started seeing how important family caregivers are. So we want to update you guys on our cases today. So Elena, you have something important happening this week. Do you want to detail what's going on with that? Well, I think first we have to point out the fact that for anybody listening today, um, we have we have to point out the fact that being paid as a spousal caregiver is something that does happen that can happen which is on the other spectrum of it the states that do not allow for spouses to be paid um to be your partner's caregiver when they first when your partner sustains an injury is that's what makes it wrong is that on one side of things there is such a thing there is such a thing as being compensated for your time, for your, you know, medical care, for for picking up the pieces really to alleviate the hospital, the medical system, from having your partner becoming, you know, very sick to performing some of the tasks right out of rehab, which is like catheter, helping your partner with medication catheters, cleaning, cooking, helping your partner make meals, the whole bit. These are these are not just domestic duties. And we all only have 24 hours in a day to be able to live our lives. So when the medical system doesn't step in and you don't have the caregivers provided by either private insurance or the government or the, or the healthcare system, then your partner is really left to fend for themselves. So that is what makes it wrong that some, but not others, get paid and compensated for the work that they do because this is work. This is a job. And, um, you know, in a lot of cases, this is not a recognized task force that you can put in your on your resume. There are no benefits, whether you get sick or injured, there is nothing there to cover you. So this is what makes it extremely problematic is that family caregivers and spousal caregivers are being completely used. And that's what makes it unjust and unfair. So this week, 
Um, my partner, Dan has been injured now for seven and a half years. We have applied for a self-directive care program here in British Columbia, Canada, years and years and years ago. And we have still yet to hear back around the hours that he qualifies for. So that begins with something that is called a time task analysis, where a nurse from, in our case, Vancouver Coastal Health is our provider here. A nurse will come in who is hired by them and they will analyze how long a time, uh, how long a task takes the individual living with disability to perform. So for example, a nurse will come in for five hours and they'll ask you to perform your daily routine. Okay, Dan, show us what it looks like for you to get out of bed, to use a toilet, to have a shower, to brush your teeth, to comb your hair, um, to actually meal making is not provided in there. So he will not have any time allocated for making a meal because I am here and I'm the girlfriend considered a wife, I guess, in our case, even though we are not married, um, that if I was making, I've been told that since I'm making a meal for myself, I'll, I'll make him one anyways. So he will not be able to have any time allocated for that task and so forth. And so on all throughout the day, they follow him basically in five hours. They try to get a grasp of what his daily routine looks like and the level of ability he has to perform those tasks safely and adequately except for a lot of the time they're not right when he when let's say i'm not home and let's say he was living by himself and he's trying to do perform a lot of these tasks let's say he's trying to grab something that's a little bit higher than his reach he's overextending things might be dropping off of shelves on top of him he might drop something on the ground he'll have to bend over to pick it up in his wheelchair he has to make sure he's locked in place first uh depending on how he's feeling that day for example one time he uh he hooked his arm on I guess the cane of his wheelchair and he went to pick up a an Easter egg during an activity at his place at work and he cracked some ribs. So these are all, you know, these are the, how do you assess these tasks and depending on the day and how the individual is feeling and their overall health, things like this can happen. So how do you measure these tasks adequately? And I think that is the biggest, uh, the, the biggest question. And especially when you do have a partner, a lot of the time what happens is, you know, Brooke and I and every other woman who is married to or dating a man in a chair or sees anybody struggling with a disability or, or sees a human being struggling in general, you jump in, you fill in, you pick those things up, you make the dinner because it's faster or you make the dinner because, you know, you're tired as well. You just want the task to be done. You want to have dinner, sit down, eat it. You want to clean up quickly. And then before you know it, seven and a half years go by and you're still waiting. We're still waiting to see what these hours that he qualifies for even look like. We've gone back and forth between having a private OT, do an assessment 
and he qualified for upwards of 16 hours at one point of care per day down to with Vancouver Coastal Health it went down to four hours that he qualifies for per day we have currently since the very beginning only been actually receiving one and a half hours in the morning which means what that looks like is somebody um, arrives at our home early in the morning opens the door they get him out of bed into his commode um, over the toilet, then back into bed or then in the shower, then back into bed, get him dressed. So in an hour and a half, he has to complete a bowel program, get showered, get dressed, and then they leave. And that has taken us years to even nail down because it takes a while to find a, the proper staff, uh, adequate staff, staff that know how to do things like bowel checks, how to do the proper bowel care. We've had many accidents over the years where, you know, it could be somebody who doesn't know us very well, but they come in, they perform the task and then they rush off and then they're quickly to run away. And then Dan will have like a bowel accident. And then it's just me left there. And I mean, um, it's happened many times where I'm out the door, I'm on my way to work. And then I look back and there he is in this situation when we both very well know that if we call for somebody to come in, to come cleaning him up, it's going to be hours, which causes me as a spouse or the caregiver or whatever you want to call it to call in sick myself, rearrange my day so I can help my partner. And the biggest thing now we have somebody coming in to do another time task analysis. This is going to be the third or the fourth time we're having this done to make sure that A, he is still a quadriplegic, that we're not milking the system, B, that he still that he still requires this amount of help. But over time, he has now been diagnosed with arthritis in his lower back. He has two herniated discs because we're just simply not getting the kind of assistance that we need within our home. I have injured myself. I am unable to do a lot of the care, like the lifting. I can't, I can't continue to lift him when he falls on the ground, even though I am the only one here. So I continue doing it, putting him back in the sling, dragging him back into his room because there is nobody else to fill in the pieces as we only qualify for an hour and a half of care per day right now. Yeah, I it just makes me so mad still because I'm just like, how many years has this been going on? Like, it's, they know that it's been going on for years. And it's the whole like being reliant on the fact that you guys are just barely making it through. And you're doing a good job. But the only reason you're going doing a good job is because you're there. Right. And the fact that they know this and how many emails have you gotten from your case manager saying, oh, that case manager doesn't work here anymore. It's going to be this person and they're not available for three months and we can't come to your home for another three months. And then something happens where they miss it and they can't come for another six months. Well, COVID happened, right? right? It's not something happens. It's COVID happened and then it changed it changed everything about everything. We had a shortage of physicians. We had a a shortage of workers. Like you said, case managers, this is a very highly stressful position to be in. You're really setting people's lives up for failure or success, depending on who the gatekeeper is the day that you speak to whoever it is that's on the phone that you're asking the questions to who's showing up to your home. What mood are they in? What kind of interaction are you having with that person? You know, there's so many different variables involved here. It's not just, 
it's not, I want to say it's, it feels like it should, it, in some instances, it is a cookie cutter mold where everybody falls under the same quality of care, the, the same hours of care. But in the same instance, it's very, it's, it varies greatly on depending on who the person is that you're speaking to. Are they able to actually understand the level of care that you need? I mean, we've been living in crisis for a long time. The pandemic, like you said earlier, highlighted greatly highlighted the needs of people, persons living with disabilities, their needs and the shortage of caregivers and the shortage of being able to get care that was even reliable or care that was, you know, that was, that was available, but also able to execute the tasks that you are asking for these individuals to show up. And part of the issue with the self-directed care is it's not really self-directive. When you hire, you know, you have to go online and you have to find your own caregivers. And are these people qualified or are you just hiring somebody off of, Craigslist because there's such a shortage of workers. Is this person even qualified? And before we get too deep into this, a lot of the qualified care, care, and I want to say medical healthcare staff were laid off during the pandemic as well, right? So that's created even a further shift of shortage of healthcare workers. Yeah. And not just that, you guys started working this process to get self-managed or self-directed care in place before the pandemic. And the worst part of it, well, the worst part to me is that you guys went months and months and months without nursing because um, you just, you know, we didn't know anything. We didn't want to transfer anything. We didn't want people coming into the home. In that time, the actual program changed to allow family members to be paid for the care. So if you had been set up on that program, it literally was changed during that time, during COVID for family members to be paid. So basically because, and they would have told you about that and Dan would have been able to hire you. So that's like what, well, that was literally for two years that they had that. Yes. So, we, but we were still waiting to get approval. We were still waiting to hear back. We were still sitting in limbo and it was like, that's meanwhile, how it is. well, and meanwhile, the spouse is going to do the care because there is nobody else. Like the entire world was in, in panic. Like the entire world was in disarray. Right. So then you sort of, you sort of look at what's happening. Like you said, there were many unknowns. We didn't know whether we were having the little bit of care that we were having coming into our homes in the mornings for an hour and a half, we were worried that these women were going from home to home to home, catching COVID, coming into our home, potentially giving COVID to Dan. The news was saying that there were not enough, um, there were not enough machines to intubate patients had their COVID become so severe that they needed intubation. So there was not enough nursing staff. There was not enough healthcare providers. There were not enough beds. We were told this, right? This was all over the news. And that's how we were getting our information was out of fear. So out of fear, we responded the way that we thought we should, which is cut all care, go backwards, basically go backwards and completely isolate ourselves because we thought that something serious could have really, really happened to our partners. And that's when I think the world started to pay attention to the extreme need 
and the and the support that family provide unpaid family provide unpaid support to family members who have illness or become disabled but at the same time spinal cord injury is very different like for your you and me our cases are also very different because we were with our partners we were young we were with our partners um, before they sustained their spinal cord injuries, our lives looked very differently. We were thrown into these positions and then further and further have been tossed further into these positions of having no support and having no support for us and no support for our partners. And it's, I find that this world is, it's a pretty ugly world where it's push yourself until you have nothing left. It's, you will be used until you're down to skin and bone and falling apart. They will gladly use you for free. Yeah, for sure. And they pretty much, I mean, not informing you guys or being having you guys registered for the program or like at least like speedily getting you guys set up for the program during COVID was a huge miss on their part too, because it just right. shows you how much they don't care. Right. Well, and like um, you said, so many, so many case managers, it's a high stress position. This is what you and I were talking about before we began the podcast. I can't imagine having this position, you know, this is what you went to school for is to be a case manager to see if you can approve people or cut corners and save more funding and save more hours from people who truly need it. I mean, the chromatic value there is like, I don't know if I would be messing with that because that's some pretty serious stuff you know, saving, cutting corners, saving hours, saving funding for people who truly need it, who would be lying on the floor for hours if they fell out of bed without any support coming in to check in on them. It's like, yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. And we did, we had so many, so, so much turnaround with case managers, case workers. Oh yes. Elena and Dan. Yeah. We'll get back to you. Another year goes by. Where is anybody? Oh, she's on vacation. Oh, we have more turnover. Oh, there's somebody new in this position. Oh, she doesn't really know your case. We'll get back to you. We'll get back to you. And now it's been seven and a half years. Well, the thing is that people need to, people are are thinking, I know they're thinking as they're listening to this, well, this kind of thing happens to me too. This isn't just a one-off thing. And people need to understand the sooner that you understand that you are just a number. I know we talk about this a lot, but the sooner you understand that you're just a number and they don't actually care. And this is a strategy that all government and insurance companies use to pay less because they want you to go away. They want you to forget. They want you to trudge through because the more you do that, the less they have to pay you. So for instance, in your case, Elena, you could have had two years of income for your care that now they've gotten away with just because they ignore you because they don't want to set things up because whatever reason, no case manager, it's all part of the strategy of the system, which is just so flawed. And I, I'm glad that people are starting to realize how incredibly flawed it is because people are starting to see, wait a second, why am I not being compensated for this? I mean, we've mentioned this in, in here in Canada as part of our human rights charter. We have a clause in there that says that you cannot be discriminated when it comes to employment based on your marital status. So it's one of the pillars just with disability status that you cannot be discriminated upon And this is one of the reasons why that we got our case overturned when we went to the appeals tribunal, when we were denied, 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 denied. And anybody who knows our story has listened to previous episodes where we've given details about my case and what happened and what is still happening. But like, they'll deny you and deny you and deny you and they'll want, they'll, they have to, it's, 
The system is not set up to compensate you. So the sooner you realize that you're a number, that they don't want to compensate you, that it doesn't matter how much you hound them, they don't care about you, the stronger you'll feel because you'll realize that you're not stepping on anyone's toes, that it's the system you're fighting. And that takes a long time, right? Like you said, seven and a half years. Mine is, you know, almost 10 years, right? Um, so it's a long process, but this is like literally the reason that we do this is to inspire others to start their own process. I know just the other day we got a message on the private discussion group from a woman who was just so ecstatic because she finally got approved to be her spouse's uh, paid caregiver or her fiance's caregiver. And that was in a state that actually is not one of the eight that has a system in place to support family caregivers. So she actually did something really outside of the box with her own case. And, you know, there was like 40 comments of people being like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like, congratulations. But there was also a bunch that were like, help guide me through the process because, you know, I too live in a state that does not support paid family caregivers, but we know it's possible. We've seen it with the states. You you guys may not have a clause in your human rights charter about marital status, but if you guys have other things, there are eight states that officially recognize family caregivers as paid employees. So you can use that in your fight, right? So oh, it's all about going through the exhausting motions of- right right? Having to check the boxes and write the appeals and write the letters. And, you know, in our earlier episodes, we have a full episode about how to do appeals and the processes to go through appeals. So if you're wanting to do something like this for yourself, if you want to be compensated and you want to be recognized, um, please go back in the episodes. I believe it was around in the twenties that we did a full episode about, uh, how to navigate appeals and the steps to take, cause it's very specific. So definitely go and listen to that if you're interested. Yeah, it's one of those things I feel like it's almost like um, it's like anything in life, you know, like education. It's like you go through like getting you go through education your entire life and you do these these really ridiculous courses that you're like, this has nothing to do with anything. (laughs) These courses are just like filler courses. It's like they just want to know that you got what it takes. You you spent so many nights crying in tears being like, why do I have to do this? It's it's like anything in life. It's the same thing with this. It's like it's weeding out the people who are just like, oh my God, I can't take this anymore. I'd rather just do it by myself. I mean, it's an excellent, excellent strategy to save money just keep ignoring people it's like you don't want to deal with something just keep keep ignoring it (laughs) maybe they'll just go away but in our case that's not the case because we have done some incredible work throughout the years we've had multiple articles in the washington post around how america treats women um you know full-time job no pay has been another article um we've had we've had we're on the board of two caregiver studies right now, actually one with university of British Columbia here in Vancouver, British Columbia, and one with the Kessler foundation, which uh, we will be presenting at the ACRM, which will be held end of October, early November in Atlanta. So, I mean, we will, if you don't have what it takes to speak up for yourself, send us an email at wagsofsci at gmail.com and we will do it for you. This is, this has turned into a passion. This has turned into our, our life project. We will continue speaking up for 
for those who simply just don't have what it takes. You're exhausted. I mean, this the saddest part about this all is, you know, I keep on having these visions of all of us. We're just completely falling apart. The hardest part is keeping yourself healthy. So you have what it takes to finally see the the light at the end of the tunnel, to see the win at the very end of the tunnel that you've won, that these cases have been approved. And that's what that's for me over the years. It's like I'm not in the best physical shape in so many ways because I've done some really foolish things. I've done some foolish things in terms of Dan falls on the ground. There is nobody there. We have gone away. You know, we are on vacation somewhere. We're in in an Airbnb where you want your privacy, but you're now in in an emergency that it's like, I'm the only one there to drag him, to throw him back in his chair. And I've done some pretty hurtful things. Like now I'm seeing a chiropractor to try to fix some of this damage. And the reality is, is that we do these things for the people we love. We we're not thinking we bend ourselves backwards and around a few times. We lose our sanity. Sometimes we're so exhausted. Sometimes we just want to scream because we're so exhausted. You're waking up in the middle of the night to help your partner. There are unexpected situations that happen all the time. But the reality is, unless you have a living caregiver, there is nobody else there. So the work that we're doing is, I mean, all we have is time, right? For us, it doesn't matter. We'll still be, we'll still be here. We'll still be using our voices. We'll still be speaking up for you, even when you don't have the energy. Yeah. And I think, you know, speaking of like tips on how to handle this stuff, um, I definitely think like for us, so for our case, Everybody knows the last time we spoke about this was when an article came out in the CBC, which is a Canadian news broadcaster, um, a big national article about um, unpaid spousal caregiving. And I was interviewed and I was told about my situation of how I was told that I could be hired. And there was actually an edit on the bottom of the article that said that Brooke is now being paid for eight hours a day. And that actually is not true. We've had a lot of people talk about this. We haven't actually last week had someone come up at his physio saying, oh, I read the article in the CBC. Thank God she's getting paid now. That was horrifying. And Evan said, well, actually, she's not. And they just gasp. He's like, that was actually an editorial error that they haven't corrected. Um, you know, this is why you can't always believe the news, right? <laughs> this is a prime example. So right, e- right. <laughs> Evan's like, well, they Human haven't corrected error. it yet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, we told them, but they haven't corrected it yet. I actually just sent a follow-up email on that because, uh, you know, it takes so long for these people to get back to you. But that was a long time ago now. That was four four months ago now. Um, and it hasn't been corrected. So people come up to us and say, oh, thank God she's getting paid. That's such an injust- injustice that's finally solved. And my husband's like, yeah, no, she's not getting paid yet. So that's a little bit of an update on my end is August of 2021, I was told in writing that I had to be paid for my partner's care, that it indeed was a violation of my human rights to employment and discrimination based on marital status. And that was in writing and that was pretty much done, right? It was stamped, sealed, everything was done. Um, And I'm still waiting to be paid. And it is, uh, you know, it's almost 2024 now. So these, these are the kind of things that need to be discussed. They will fight tooth and nail 
to not compensate you because the system is so ingrained to not support the caregiver. And so, like you said earlier, it's just one of those things you just have to keep going. And we have the stamina for this. We have the ability to do this. I've gotten to a place now where it's literally fighting for my rights as a caregiver is literally like brushing my teeth. I will wake up in the morning. I will make sure that all the emails are sent. I'll make sure my husband has all his stuff that he needs in order to just follow up, cross your T's, dot your I's, submit the paperwork, submit the appropriate email. Um, And it takes months to get replies. It takes, you know, there's, they will think of any possible excuse as to why to not pay you. And you just have to view it as, okay, this is part of my job now. This is my full-time job is I will continue to fight this. And my husband has said to them so many times, we're going to be here for a while. (laughs) You know, we're still in our mid thirties. We will fight this and we will not stop. So you guys need to understand that we will not stop. And at the end of the day, what is right will be achieved. You know, they'd always, the truth will always, the truth and integrity (laughs) will always win in the end. The truth will set you free, Brooke. Well, literally. And and the thing is, is when you're going up against bureaucracy and insurance companies, they don't understand that because they work for their paycheck. And at the end of the day, they go home and they don't have to worry about it. Right. And they also like we were, you're speaking earlier about how, you know, it's a fairly stressful job to be a case manager. They tell themselves the stories that they need in order to sleep at night. Right. They tell themselves well, I'm doing good. I'm making sure that someone can actually get help. I'm making sure that someone can actually get some sort of assistance with their disability, right? I feel good because I'm in a socialist system of governance support. They tell themselves that at the end of the day so that they can put their head on their pillow and they don't feel bad, right? But the point is, is they disconnect from their job when they leave. It's just a job for them, right? They can hire someone new at any second. This is your life. You're fighting literally for your life. I am fighting for my freedom as a caregiver who has chosen to be a caregiver and stay at home with her husband and make sure he has the best care and live the best life that I possibly can. It's a choice and I should not be penalized for that. I've said that since the beginning. But when you're changing something that has been the same since the 50s, since the 60s, where arm's length caregivers and family caregivers are not supported, it is going to take a lot of patients. And we've done that. It's been, you know, it's, we're coming up on Evan's 10 year anniversary soon. And I know in my heart and soul that all of this, all of this fighting and all of this sticking to it when they want you to give up so badly, like now the latest thing is, yes, she can be hired, but we're not going to allow him to sign up for the program because they want him to pay me under the table um, in cash so that it's not on my record that I am making the amount of money that I should be making as his caregiver. Um, they don't want that as evidence. They don't want me to file, you know, work safe benefits for myself. They want me to be paid under the table. Um, and this is something that my husband has said in writing many times that he will not do. He will not employ someone illegally. Um, and so again, now we're going through the bureaucracy chain of command where it's like, we have to go through the appeal. We have to go through the denial. We have to go through the tribunal again. Um, it's never ending. So again, yeah, it's almost year three of, uh, of when I was told I would be paid and it's still not happening yet, but we're going to keep fighting. That's all you can do. Right. And the other thing about this too, it's not like you can, you can apply for back pay either. 
Well, I mean, we've been told that that just isn't going to happen. I mean, like I keep saying, I have all the time in the world to pursue this. Um, hopefully, you know, God willing, I have all the time in the world. Um, <laughs> I just mm-hmm. want to see some real change happen. So mm-hmm. who knows where that will lead? I don't know. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm I am not being compensated. So we'll see what happens and- there. Okay, so just quickly before we move on here, can you give us a run through of what it looks like to be a caregiver in your position? What is your typical day look like? Oh, so tip. So um, anyone who's new joining us on the podcast, uh, I we don't we don't have any support, which we don't want this forever. Like it's not it's not healthy for me to have absolutely no one to call. Um, like, you know, what if something happens? What if I'm sick? What if, you know, as of right now, I'm the only one, right? So basically what happens in the morning is um, we wake up early because my husband is a day trader. So he needs to be up when the market opens. So we wake up, I get him changed and ready. And I put him in his chair, get him his coffee, set up everything for the morning. And then a few hours in, there's usually a lull in the market. And so during that time, I get him back into bed, take off all his clothes, put him into his commode to shower and go to the bathroom. And so that's kind of like the mid-morning routine. Um, And then after the bowel routine in the shower, get him back into bed, dress him, set him up once again for his trading. Then he has another break where he gets to do his exercises. And so I set him up for that. So he'll either push or he'll do his standing frame or he will do his FES bike. Um, and those have to be supervised because he can't, he literally can't do anything really by himself except roll on a flat surface. Um, so that's kind of where I come in is like the, and the FES bike is really like a technical thing. Like it's, it's, I had to learn how to do it in California. I had to be like educated on it. It's, it's really, you know, for those who use FES bikes, these are like electrical devices that stimulate your muscles. So I have to supervise him with that, take him off the bike. then you know, around that time, it'll be like 1 or 2 p.m. and it'll either be time for him to go off to physiotherapy where he actually can drive himself to physiotherapy because there's people there that can help him. Um, And I will have some time to clean the house, do my own work, do my own peace time, my own serenity time. Um, And then after that, we will either go for a jog together as a family with our dog and he will be on his Baytech and we'll go for a jog and then I'll do some sort of yoga or some sort of workout. And then by the time that's done, um, it's dinner time. So I will cook dinner and we just got our kitchen adapted. So he'll be able to come in and assist me and just like either talk to me or just hang out with me while I'm making dinner. And then after that, I will transfer him using the Hoyer lift into his lazy boy. And this is usually around, you know, 6 PM because that will be like our relaxation time. So I'll put him in his chair and then what I'll do is I'll set him up with the TV remote and I will do whatever other work I have to do for the day on my computer. I will sort out some emails. Um, And then after that is more relaxing time. So I will either go and do a cold dip or I'll do a sauna or I will do some sort of meditation um, time for myself. Usually I will watch cooking shows because I love cooking shows and I'll watch like a couple of cooking shows and then it's time for bed. So I'll use the Hoyer and I'll pick him up from his chair and Sometimes we will take the dog for another walk. Um, So I'll put him in his power chair. We'll go for a walk and then we'll get into bed, which is another transfer. And then I'll do catheters on him, make sure he's 
set up in bed and then we'll go to sleep. And then the next day it begins again. So with my husband's injury, it's fairly hands-on. He's C4. Um, he has very, very limited hand function. And so he requires, he's also 220 pounds. So he does require, you know, a lot of transfers and lifting around and stuff like that. I don't do it myself because I can't do it. I, I use the Hoyer lift, the portable Hoyer lift for pretty much everything um, to save my back and stuff. But um, other than that, that's that's kind of like what our day looks like. So we've been assessed just like you guys multiple times over the years to prove that, you know, what he needs is a lot of help. And, you know, right. we haven't had many issues with that. It's kind of in writing that he needs a lot of help. Right. Um, right. So as far as paying me for that, I mean, they've saved thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars over the right. 10 years that I've been doing this. And then with your guys's home reno, that took years and years to get approved and appeals and whatnot. And now that your kitchen is renovated, what is Evan able to do that he wasn't able to do before? So now that the kitchen is renovated, he can get into his kitchen. First off, he can get under the sink and wash his hands. And he's still learning to wash his hands because he can't like open his fingers very easily. He needs help with that um, to do like full hand washing. But he's learning. Um, He can... Our oven is digital, so he can control the temperature of the oven on his iPad. Um, so that's pretty cool. So if something is in the oven and I have to like duck out for an errand, he can keep an eye on the oven and make sure it's not going to like burn or whatever. Um, and then he can, yeah, get around his kitchen. So we have drawers that like he can hit with his arm to like get the drawers open so that he can easily, um, get what's ever in them. But the, the thing is, is because of his limited hand function and because of the way his hands are, he doesn't really have the ability to grab things very easily. So he still needs help with that. But the point is, is that he can actually get into his kitchen and get around. Um, another thing is, is we have fold out things on the sides of the kitchen for, um, they're almost like, it's like a little wooden bar that he can sit at and actually roll up. And um, he can assist by like stirring something on the stove, that kind of thing. Um, so it's still like, I still need to help him and whoever's caring for him still needs to help him. Um, but at least he has access to that space, which is. Well, and, and he's yeah. a part of, he's a part of his yeah. environment now, whereas before he would be sitting in his lazy boy pretty well from yeah. the moment he would yeah. come home because he was not even able to, like your guys' place is pretty small. So he wasn't really even able to get into the kitchen or anywhere because it wasn't really open now he's able to have a meal at, at you know yeah. a table he's able to get in he's able to open the fridge he's able to wash his hands he's able to fit underneath the sink like these are all quality of life pieces that i know you and i've talked about this before where wcb has told other members of our community okay you've had an injury you can't access your bathroom we'll give you pocket change to go use a yeah a homeless shelter to go have a shower every day, yeah. for example. Yeah. So or an outdoor just, shower. Right. And so, yes, I mean, this has happened. 
like we're not making this up like this yeah. is the scale uh, this is the difference between what happens when you do advocate for yourself yes it takes years yes it can be extremely frustrating having to repeat yourself you're also reliving it's like you're reliving your injury about like what is it show us what you're able to do what you're not able to do that re- constant reminder of okay I'm trying to move on with my life but I have to show you what has happened to me that has now restricted me to oh yeah be able to do these things right it's there's a lot of trauma there there's a lot of ptsd oh yeah by the way they won't cut cover any kind of therapy either so that'll be on your own but you know it's when it comes down to it it's the quality of life pieces it's it's trying to be able to move forward in the best quality of life that you can so you you know like when you said i remember when you sent me that video or that photo of evan washing his hands for the first time in 10 years right and yeah like this is just it's it's kind of unheard of so the scale varies the teeter-totter goes from here's pocket change so you can go use an outdoor shower at a shelter to okay fine years and years of appeal okay fine we will remodel your home so that the individual living with disabilities can fit their commode into the bathroom and the privacy of their own home think about even having to find an accessible way of transfer to go to this shelter to use the shower and think about how time consuming that is first of all we live in vancouver where there's like five accessible taxis it's not the best secondly you need an attendant or from the very beginning they can adapt your home for something that you've already paid for which is workers compensation wcb um so you can have the privacy and just be left alone to live your life in peace and just try to have the best quality of life. Well, and the thing is, is like, I'm glad you said that about the quality of life thing, because that's one of the main pillars that actually overturned their decision on the kitchen, but also overturned their decision on um, the tribunal about me getting paid was the fact that we outlined how he needs to be contributing to the household. And when you're, injured, you have to have things set up so that you can contribute to your share of the household tasks, right? You can't just assume your wife is there to step in with everything. Like I remember they said, and this was in writing, the first time they denied our kitchen renovation in 2016, they said, oh, because the wife is the cook, he doesn't need access to his kitchen. She can just make the meals. That's literally what they said. Meanwhile, I'm literally not even his paid support system. So I'm literally there to make his food and serve it to him, right? With with them actually saying that that's okay. So I think like, um, I know that, that the piece about like, okay, well, he is injured. All insurance and government programs have a mandate. And I've researched this very, very seriously in the States and Canada. They all have a very similar mandate, which is to try to get your life back to as normal as possible pre-injury. So they are kind of mandated to give you things that are medically necessary in order to make your life as much as possible easy to live after your injury based on where you were at before. So if, you know, even here in BC, if you had a job where you used your hands all the time um, and it didn't, uh, you know, and, and you can't do that anymore. Like for example, Dan, we will set you up with education so you can get a new career, right? It's all about like, let's figure out how we can get you as close as possible to participating in society. And that includes in the home. 
right? You can't just expect someone to be injured and then to have their partner facilitate that 50% of the household themselves for free. Like it just doesn't work that way. That is not a democratic um, modern society. That is something that would happen in the 1950s, right? It's just these policies are just generally so outdated, so out of touch. And so by talking about like where we're at in our cases to all of you listeners, will hopefully help you in some way navigate what you're navigating or inspire you to start this process yourself. Because unfortunately, even though I'm doing all of this and I've proven that I can get paid, it still doesn't change anything for anyone else. Not yet anyways. And you can be assured both Elena and I will not stop until we've changed everything for everyone else. Because this, like you said earlier, this is what we do, right? But that being said, don't wait for us to change things before you start your own. You know it's possible. So start. Just start somewhere, right? Motivate yourself to start somewhere. Right. I mean, the process is at least at least there's a file somewhere that says yes. that you your name is in the system. Yeah. And and that's I guess that's the biggest piece is that you'll have something to go back on and say, OK, in 2012, I filed for this or in 2014, I filed for this. Yeah. Um, so. 100%. Anyways, we're here to help you guys. If you have any questions, please email us at wegsofsci at gmail.com. And as always, please reach out if you need any legal assistance or need somebody to have your back. Um, we have Robin Wishart with Wishart Brain and Spine Law. So please reach out if you have any questions. And thank you again for tuning in for another episode of the Wags of SEI podcast. Cheers. Cheers.